Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today we are doing a Broncos injury roundup on the doorstep of training camp as well as breaking down the key roster battles to watch and which under the radar players bear some scrutiny. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. Feels good to be back. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host, my partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I'm all moved in, dude. I'm feeling good. I'm ready to attack the 2018 season. And that all starts this week. It's been a while, brother, since we got our pod on. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so happy that it's finally football season. This month has felt like it's lasted a year. Uh, There's not a lot to talk about. I'm glad that football is here. Training camp starts this week. We got preseason coming up, and it's officially time for more Broncos football. We were talking about it off air, but I think we did about as thorough a job as you possibly could mining uh, whatever analysis and news there was to be had over the last five, six weeks. So, I'm I'm just like you, man. I'm excited to finally sink my teeth into some real analysis. And we might even get that on Tuesday, which is tomorrow, when the rookies report to camp. That's right. And then we have veterans coming up later this week. I'm sure we have, we'll get quotes from that tomorrow. And uh, a lot of you know high expectations for this rookie class. So I'm sure it's you know Bradley Chubb mentioned he had butterflies today before he reports tomorrow. So it's going to be interesting. It's on you guys. Real quick, some business before we jump into things. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Make sure also you take some time. Leave a creative review wherever you listen to the show, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart. Shout out to the YouTube peeps, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever. Also make sure you're following the site on Facebook. You can find us, Denver Broncos, on 24-7 Sports. Also Mile High Huddle on Facebook, and then, of course, on Twitter as well. And before we jump into this, we got to say thank you to our sponsor of today's show, Audible. You guys get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or an MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Longtime listeners of the show know that I'm a big proponent of this, not just because they sponsor the podcast, but because I use it literally every day. I'm a voracious reader, don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books that I want to read, but Audible allows me to get that done while I'm doing other things, whether I'm commuting, I'm in the gym, I'm in the kitchen or out in the yard. So take this opportunity, get a free book, get that 30-day free trial, audibletrial.com slash huddle up, lets them know that we sent you. All right, so we'll jump into the Bronco talk here, uh, shake off some of this podcast rust 
The Broncos, of course, kick off training camp this weekend with the first practice coming officially Saturday, July 28th. The long, long, long wait is over. And last weekend was really, if you think about it, the last uh, weekend for the rest of the year in which there's going to be no football to dissect. The games, you know, they're not starting until August. But we're going to have plenty to dissect come Saturday and this coming Sunday. And one issue that came to the forefront on Monday that we should probably tackle first is the kind of updated injury situation on several players, but most notably Shane Ray. Now, when last we left Shane Ray uh, during OTAs, it was under the report uh, and in the message by the team that he was going to undergo a fourth surgery on that wrist that has plagued him uh, for the last year or so. However, Ian Rappaport reported on uh, Monday that despite that conception that Ray would undergo a fourth surgery, the attending doctors advised him not to go through with it and instead prescribed a rehab regimen. Now, he might not hit the practice field hot and heavy right out of camp, you know, just to start out camp, but the report basically says that Ray, the plan is for him to be available to suit up and play week one versus Seattle. So that's a significant... You know, that jumps up his timeline by by at least two or three weeks. So what does this mean for, for the Broncos moving forward? What are the immediate takeaways in your mind, Zach? Well, you can never have too many pass rushers. So the fact that they're going to have Ray on the field definitely for the regular season bodes well for the defense. And for him, because he's a free agent after the season, he has to maximize his value uh, around the NFL. Uh, he might start training camp on PUP, and he might not play in the preseason. I'd be surprised if they don't ease him into action. But he should be on the field for Seattle. That's going to be a tough test off the bat with Russell Wilson containing him, containing their weapons. And so you can never have too many pass rushers. And it also, what I like about him being available, I'm not the biggest Shane Ray fan in the world, but you don't have to necessarily throw Bradley Chubb into the fire from day one. You can ease him in if he even needs to be eased in. They don't have to have him start at OLB. They can have him come off the bench, um, passing situations. So it's only positive that he's going to be available. It's only positive that he avoided his fourth surgery on that wrist, finally got some good news uh, his way so it's good news for the Broncos defense good news for Shane Ray my biggest concern is that you know he's going to hit the field practice field playing field what have you and one thing leads to another put some leverage on it put some pressure on that wrist gets a weird angle and they realize all of a sudden at this point with a couple months wasted that uh, turns out yeah he probably should have had the actual surgery and then by that point you know his season could literally be in jeopardy the entire uh, contract year let's hope that doesn't happen knock on wood because even though the odds are extremely low that Shane Ray is going to be a Denver Bronco this time next year the team still stands to benefit tremendously from a motivated Shane Ray in a contract year who is ostensibly healthy can jump in there and you know, I think even in a rotational role, he'll pro- if he's healthy, he'll probably start off the season opposite of Von Miller with Chubb uh, rotating in and Shaq Barrett rotating in. But if he's healthy and, and everything goes well, I mean, I think Shane Ray could, could contribute six to eight sacks. And I think that could be enough with his draft pedigree and the Super Bowl ring he has and the, the overall perception of him being that speed rusher to go out there and get himself a lucrative contract on the open market. Obviously, it's, it's extremely unlikely it's going to be Denver. But the Broncos stand to benefit greatly, Zach, from, from Shane Ray being healthy, even though this is probably the last raw. So let's, let's hope, uh, you know, I think in the best case scenario, the Broncos, if they're going to be smart about this and they don't want to push their luck knowing how wonky that wrist has been, 
that they do take it slow. Put them on the pup to start camp. There's no reason to rush them in. Roll them out on the on the uh, dress rehearsal in the third preseason game and, and see what sticks. Well, to your point, one of my biggest uh, you know things of contention I had with the Broncos this offseason and OTAs and minicamp, and I put this on Twitter multiple times, is why did they have him on the field? If there was any doubt about his wrist, why was he practicing involuntary practices? Mm. The Broncos held back several other players at, for precautionary reasons, which we'll touch on in just a second. Why did they have Shane Ray out there knowing his wrist has been sore the entire offseason, mm. as he admitted? So that was one thing that kind of jumped out at me. I didn't like that about the Broncos coaching staff or their training staff. If he does rack up six to eight sacks, he will land a lucrative contract. It's just hard to find pass rushers in the NFL. It won't be with the Broncos, but it, it could be a win-win. If, if he gives them eight sacks, then you can have double digits with Von Miller. You could have Bradley Chubb, Barrett, even maybe even Jeff Holland. It would help the Broncos' defense, help them win, and also help him get a contract next offseason. So if he stays healthy and he finally, finally, finally lives up to that first-round draft status, which we're still waiting to see, yeah. it can only benefit all sides. So it's, it's good news so far. We have to hope that, like you said, knock on wood, he does and get re-injured for a fifth time yep yeah it's definitely encouraging we'll see how it shakes out uh, but we also got some news an update from Jeff Legwald on Ronald Leary now we all know of course backing it up to OTAs that Leary uh, was one of uh, the two offensive linemen key of the starting five that was watching the proceedings from the sideline the, the Broncos held him out of team activities uh, because he had knee soreness quote-unquote and we find out on Monday that in the very recent past, during this break, Ron Leary actually had arthros- arthroscopic procedure on that knee. And in other words, that means they scoped his knee, whether it was some debris, some loose stuff floating around, c- uh, contributing possibly to like some swelling, whatever. Legwald reports that he had a knee scope, which kind of uh, piggybacks a little bit, calls into question somewhat that report, uh, I think you covered it, Zach, a few weeks back with Ron Leary speaking publicly about being ready to go or good to go mm-hmm. for training camp. But how do you see this possibly mm-hmm. affecting his prospects heading into camp? I think he meant it on an overall level. Like he'll be good to go in training camp, maybe not the first day of training camp. I think they're going to ease him in there uh, just to mitigate any sort of uh, you know aggravation of that knee because they want to take it kind of slow with him. He had a couple injuries last year. He had an elbow, he had a concussion, uh, I think a back too, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. so he's going to be the starting left guard. There's no question about him. He was arguably the Broncos' best lineman last year, and it's not saying much. No. So they're going to ease him in there, and he's going to be the starting left guard. And he might not be on the field the first day, but he will be practicing. He will be participating in some capacity this preseason, probably the dress rehearsal game. So I'm not too worried about an arthroscopic procedure. I'm not too worried about his status. I think he'll be good to go. And the right thing to do, like they should have done with Shane Ray, is to ease him in there. My biggest concern with the whole thing is, you know, he's a, he's a warrior. He's an offensive lineman. He's, a, he's, you know, he plies his trade at the point of attack. He's used to being sore. He's used to having everything swollen. And I think he'll do everything he can to battle through any discomfort or pain through the season, no matter what happens uh, with that knee, unless, you know, unless he tears something, knock on wood again. But the biggest issue I can see this uh, is it retards the ability of this unit Okay, that's that's kind of getting patched back together in an encouraging way from building that chemistry from the start of camp through preseason. Now, who knows? Maybe this was a very minor scope. Maybe he's going to be able to hit the ground running right out of the gates with training camp. But in a perfect world, what you want at this point 
on the doorstep of camp is you want your projected starting five, and they talked about it during OTAs, Vance Joseph, Bill Musgrave, they have a group in mind. They have that starting five in mind. In a perfect world, you want that those five guys on the field with the first team offense practicing from day one, building that chemistry, building all of their uh, communication, and moving that forward through the, the dog days of camp and into the preseason so that by the time you get to the to week one of the regular season, they're as close to firing on all cylinders as possible. So that's my, my biggest concern, and I'm hopeful that maybe it was as minor of a scope as you can possibly get and that he'll be able to join his teammates, you know, line up right next to Garrett Bowles in between he and, and Matt Paradis and, and rock and roll. It's a good point you bring up because he he's going to be so key for Bowles on that left side. And Bowles had a, a, a rotating gate at left guard last year with Alan Barber and Max Garcia. He needs that stable hand, and Ronald Leary has Pro Bowl caliber talent. So I, I would like the five to be out there. You also have Jared Valdir. Uh, who has an ankle, he's going to be eased back in. So you you got to get that starting five gel together. I absolutely agree with that. But I'm not too concerned that it will come together. It doesn't have to be on day one, although it would be preferable. It will happen by the, maybe the second week of preseason, uh, going into the second preseason game. Maybe you'll see a series or two with the starters. And then I think that third preseason game, you're going to see the entire offense come together with Leary, with Veldier, with that starting five. And what I don't want to happen, I don't want any setbacks because I, I love Ronald Leary. Yep. I just don't want to see Menelik Watson in the starting lineup. I don't want it to see it at all. It, yeah. it can't happen. I'm surprised he's still on the team. That's another story for another day. I, I, I do think I'm very hopeful and optimistic that the starting five will gel together and they will have enough time. Let's hope. We know he's, uh, he's, he's a warrior. He's had knee issues in the past, but uh, I think he's probably going to be okay. The other news that we got on Monday was the recently signed defensive lineman Clinton McDonald, former Tampa Bay Buck. He has uh, he says he's good to go uh, based on a report from Mike Kliss. Now he had some complications. He had an infection that that was uh, that stemmed from a shoulder surgery. Some weird issues that caused him to, if I recall right, Zach, maybe you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, fail the physical, and that's why they. I'm trying to think back now. That's why they re uh, they had to redo his contract, restructure his contract. Mm-hmm. Well, he's now 100% confident that he's going to pass his mandated physical, which will happen, I believe, Tuesday, uh, for sure later this week, and that he's going to be available to start training camp with the rest of his teammates. So Bill Kalar is going to have each and every weapon in place to start training camp off on the right foot. He's had that shoulder issue for the last couple seasons in Tampa Bay, and the Broncos knew about it when they signed him to that two-year contract in March. The thing with him was he took a pay cut, and he can earn back a chunk of his money if he passes that physical, if he makes the 53, and then if he makes the game day 46-man roster. Both of those things should happen. I love the pickup. They can He can give them interior push from their off, uh, defensive line. They haven't had that in recent seasons. Him and Demarcus Walker. He will pass that physical. He had a minor bacterial infection stemming from hardware that was put into his shoulder after he had a corrective procedure that's all taken care of now uh, he, like you said they undergo a physical tomorrow he should pass that should start to make his money back and he will be a key cog in that rotation and he already said he loves working with Kolar probably the best defensive line coach in the NFL and they picked up a really sneaky under the radar signing McDonald's so I think it's good to go as you said I think he says he's good to go I think he will pass his physical and be a surprise if he didn't he's a little bit long in the tooth but I still think he has enough gas left in the tank to 
contribute a few sacks on uh, you know pass rushing situations from the inside. So hopefully he can hit the ground running as well. And then three guys I want to mention real quick, and then we'll move on because we don't have any update like we got from the previous three guys on Monday. Jared Valdir, which you touched on with the ankle, no update. The last thing we heard on him uh, from him and the coaches is that he was going to be good to go to start training camp. Then we have wideout Jordan Taylor. No update on him uh, as far as his recovery from bilateral hip surgery. Last thing we heard from the coaches was that he was going to be good to go about halfway through training camp. And then lastly, we have the rookie fifth-round tight end, Troy Fumagalli, who underwent a sports hernia surgery not long after the Senior Bowl and the team, they were very cautious with him during the offseason training program. Ostensibly, he'll be eased back into action when camp opens. But what have you heard on this, Zach? Fumagalli, I think he will be eased in. I, I don't think he's going to end up on pup. I mean, he's not going to be counted on for a major role because they do have Jake Budd, who's finally healthy, and they're very high on. They have Jeff Hireman, who's kind of like the veteran tight end now with Virgil Green out of the picture. And they have Austin Trailer, who showed some sneaky good upside last season. The thing that I wanted to mention about Jordan Taylor real quick is that I think he will end up on PUP. He had double hip surgery. Uh, he's been really slow to recover from that. It's a very serious uh, procedure for wide receiver who relies on his movement and his explosion. Mm. So I think he will start on PUP, and he won't be back until sometime in mid-August, and that really, really hurts his roster chances. I know he's a yeah. fan favorite. I know he's sunshine, but they have a lot of receivers on this roster, and the more time he misses, the more time he's behind the eight ball. So if there's anyone of this list who's going to start on PUP, including Shane Ray, it will be Jordan Taylor. Yeah, I can't disagree. All right, now moving on, though, Zach, you joined Kevin Boyard to address what the first order of business is going to be when the Broncos convene for training camp. The rookies arrive, the veterans arrive. There's that big where, you know, where the bear, you know, what's in the woods and everyone comes together. This is how it's going to be. And of course, for those listening, there's a video up on the site of that conversation that Zach had, which I encourage everyone to go check out. But Zach, your point, I thought was was an excellent one. Explain to our listeners real quick what that first order of business has to be for the Broncos this week. Before they even step foot on the practice field, before they throw a football around, they have to buy into Vance Joseph's message. He's going to gather them for a pre-training camp meeting. He's going to bring them together, and he's going to have to get them to buy into his goal and his and his motivation for this season and he wasn't very well respected coming off that 5 and 11 season he arguably should have lost his job after last year he was brought back by the skin of his teeth with a very short leash and the players know that he's a lame duck so he has to get them to buy in that he has to sell them on what the broncos could be and not what the broncos were last year so that is their first order of business It's bringing together a lot of new faces, a lot of new moving parts, a new quarterback, uh, new offensive players, new defensive players, new coaches. Bring them together as one, meld together, and get on the same page. Joseph has preached accountability this offseason, and he has to show it in his actions starting in training camp. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, Vance Joseph is – I've written about this a couple of times now over the last two weeks, but – you know, on one hand, he's a guy who gets an inordinate amount of fan hatred, and I'm not sure he 100% deserves it all. I'm not saying he's not accountable. I'm not saying that, you know, he wasn't in large part to blame for what happened last season. But I think there are a lot of factors that went into why the Broncos went 5-11, and many of which were outside of, of VJ's control, including the most important one, which was the carousel at quarterback and the lack of a capable player and a proven player at the position and so that really goes against any first-year head coach now 
but that's spilt milk. That's all in the rear view. Projecting ahead, this is a new group. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, familiar faces, holdovers, stars from last year. Many of them, anytime they were asked publicly from the season's end up until this point what they thought of BJ, they came out in support of him. No one ever really threw him under the bus. But as you say, you got to wonder how much respect he really has uh, in that locker room. So he's got to bring everybody together and say, listen, last year was in the past. That was a fluke. That's not what we're about. Here's why it's different this year. And you can point to uh, Case Keenum. You can point to uh, Bill Musgrave getting a full offseason to install his offense. And all the the, uh, phenomenal draft class and some of the free agent acquisitions. I mean, there's a lot of things this team can hang its hat on to kind of exercise the demons from last season. And I think if they don't – I agree with you. If they don't do that right off the bat and address that moving forward, it's the type of thing that could plague them throughout the season, those doubts and those questions and everyone not buying in and not not being not having that chemistry together and that brotherhood and that bond. I mean, what else are other players going to say, though? They're going to throw them under the bus? No, I mean, they're going to come out and support their coach. It would be a bad look for them. Yeah. But I've touched on this a lot, and I'm not the biggest VJ fan in the world. I think that's well-documented, but he's out of excuses. There yeah. is no more excuses for Vance Joseph. Elway brought him back with his hand-picked coaching staff, an upgraded quarterback, an upgraded offense. Uh, he, he added to their defense. There's no more excuse. They have a lighter schedule. There's no more excuses for Vance Joseph. If they go through another losing spell, the team is going to quit on him. Like you saw last year after that Dolphins game, that Dolphins blowout. It will happen, and that will be the end of him. So he has to get them to buy in, to stay the course, and to sell them on what they could be, maybe even a playoff contender with him at the helm. It's a big, big task for Joseph, and it's going to really determine whether he's the future of the Broncos at coach. Well, we all we heard about when the Broncos hired him was his leader of men persona. Still his, waiting to see it. His his ability to organize and his detail, you know, mindset and all this. Well, this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to that That's right. uh, that pizzazz and that ability to to command a room and put a put a group of ninety guys on your back and say, "Let's go, follow me." So it's a tall task. It's not an easy one. There's very few men on this planet that could pull it off. But there's also a very small minority of men on this planet who are qualified to be head coaches in the NFL. And it still remains to be seen whether or not Vance Joseph is actually one of them. So we'll find that out here in the coming weeks, in the coming months, as the 2018 season rolls around. Now, here in just a second, Zach and I are going to get into some of the camp battles to watch. We're going to take a crack at also predicting the Broncos' record for 2018. But first, let us holler at you about why you got to become a Mile High Huddle 24-7 Sports VIP subscriber. Our approach to covering the Broncos is not just about reporting the news. You guys know that. We pride ourselves on being able to relay to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time. But what we like to focus on is breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether it's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation, you name it. But we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. Now, to become a Mile High Huddle VIP, to get access to 100% of our written analysis and our VIP insider forums, just click on the green banner at the top of the website. You click the monthly or the annual option. You'll be locked in. And then from there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info that we pick up along the way. And you guys know we bust our humps to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. 
We ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. So pull the trigger. You have our word. You will not be disappointed. All right, so moving on to uh, some of the camp battles to watch. The Broncos obviously coming off 5-11. and 11. Everybody's on notice at Dove Valley, including the star players, okay? Because the Broncos are essentially starting from zero. What that means is competition is going to be rife throughout the roster, the old ways of grandfathering guys' jobs, I mean, with very few exceptions, that's out the window. And that's going to completely stoke the intensity level of these competitions. And there's multiple position battles shaping up. We're going to break down some of the key competitions to watch. And I think the one that is really on the minds of, of and it might be the most pressing, really, is the running back competition. you got Devontae Booker. He's the established. He's the long tooth in the group. you got the upstart third-round pick. In uh, Royce Freeman, also fellow rookies, David Williams, the seventh rounder, the undrafted Philip Lindsay. And then don't forget about Hop Henderson. How do you see this particular battle shaping up, Zach? Going into the season, what I'm hearing is that Devontae Booker will start as the RB1, as the de facto starter by title. Now, will he finish the season as a starter? I don't know. They're very, very high on Royce Freeman. They think of him as like a, a rich man's version of C.J. Anderson, and I see it also that between the tackles banger, that early down workhorse. And I think in an ideal world, you would have Freeman on early downs, on running downs, and then bring in Booker on passing situation because he offers more as a pass catcher. So your one and two is solidified there. However it shakes out, is interchangeable. I'm a big fan of D'Angelo Henderson, though. I'm probably a bigger fan on him than most other people. I really like what I saw to him last year. Yeah, he has some fumbling issues, but he has a lot of talent there, and he'll soak up any other reps that, you know, that fall from between uh, Freeman and Booker. Another name to keep in mind, though, is Phillip Lindsay. If he makes this roster as the punt returner, and he's in that competition right now, they would force to keep four running backs on the 53. And as a local product, a good kid, uh, someone they're very high on, uh, all-around talent, I think he'll be in the mix also. So competition is only going to make the, the group as a whole better. Each player is going to push each other to be even better than they are. Uh, but right now, from starting on day one of training camp, I do think it'll be Booker and then Freeman. But it's going to be interchangeable. I think Freeman could pass. Uh, Booker by the end of the year, or if Booker could keep the job or get injured, whatever. But I will be one and two between Booker and Freeman, and then however else it falls out with Henderson and Lindsey. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we're going to be, once we get a little further into the preseason, we're going to be doing our 53-man uh, projection for the for the final roster. But here's a bold prediction ahead of time, all right? I'm going to grab my crystal ball here. The Broncos are going to keep five running backs, not Ooh. one of them named Andy Janovich. Bold prediction right there for you. Now, granted, he's a fullback, but he gets factored into that equation when it comes to the roster math. I see the Broncos keeping, obviously, Freeman, Booker, D'Angelo Henderson, David Williams. Those are the guys who are going to actually see uh, potential touches on game day on offense. And then Phillip Lindsay, because of his special teams returner ability, is that fifth guy that actually takes the spot that was previously held by Andy Janovich. So there's a bold prediction for you. But moving on, right guard. Now, this one, I think when the coaches talked about there being a group in mind that they have for the starting five, I assume my gut tells me that Connor McGovern is, is kind of who they're giving the first swing at. Um, yep. That's where their vision is kind of coalescing there. But there's multiple guys competing, including the incumbent from last year, the last two years, really, and Max Garcia, who, you know, he's going to have to, if he wants a shot at that job, he's going to have to prove he can play on the right side, A. Um, but then you also have Menelik Watson, who, you, who you've touched on before. you got Billy Turner, who the coaches absolutely love. 
How do you see this particular roster battle for the right guard position shaping up? Well, I'll give you one sleeper name. That's J.J. Dealman, who they're very high on, who they picked up last year, and they kind of stashed him away. He's going to be in the mix, though I don't think he'll start, but he can definitely make the roster. Uh, I hope... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And I really do hope that it's McGovern that starts and not not uh, Turner, not Garcia, not Menelik Watson. You know, Connor McGovern in last year in his stint duty, he showed pretty well to me. He kind of had some struggles in pass protection, but the guy is just a powerhouse. He's the strongest player on the team, more or less, and he really showed well in uh, run blocking. So I think he'll be the starter. I don't think it's so much a competition as it is just a, a formality. I think right. they want to give him the starting role. But behind him, there's some interesting names. And men like Watson, they're going to pay him millions of dollars to be a backup. I don't understand that. I never will. He was awful last year. He might be better suited to guard because of his, his build and his ability or lack thereof. But J.J. Dealman is a name to keep in mind at right guard. And also you have Sam Jones, the six-round pick from this year's class. Ooh, that's right. So there's right. there's some names in there, but I do think McGovern will start at right guard. You know, it's funny because the perception is, oh, you know, Menelik Watson sucks at pass protections, can't, can't handle the edge, can't handle speed and double moves. But you know what? As a, Pretty as good a run, run blocker. Baller, yeah, exactly. But interesting tweet from Pro Football Focus, uh, the Broncos' PFF account on Monday – which basically showed that as a run blocker, Menelik Watson, there's like five or six starting right tackles, qualifying right tackles last year who finished worse than he as a run blocker. So for whatever that's worth. Now here's the flip side to that coin, okay? Connor McGovern, I agree with you. I thought he was very good. It actually surprised me. And I've gone back and actually watched the tape. I'm not just going off of uh, the TV broadcast. I've gone back, watched the all-22 angles, and, you know, he wasn't perfect by any means, but he was surprisingly good for a player who sat out his entire rookie year, healthy scratch, all of 2016, sits on the bench for most of 2017 until the final five games where he's thrust into action. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought he did very well. Pro football focus panned him, gave him a horrible grade, which I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know it was not good. It, he was He was graded in the red, in the negative. So, you know, that's, and I think most of the time PFF lines up with what the tape shows more often than not, but it goes to show that they're not necessarily perfect when it comes to evaluation and advanced metrics. I don't think PFF is the end all be all. It's a good baseline to go on, but I wouldn't, you have to, you have to use your eyeball sometimes and what your gut tells you. So I like what I saw from McGovern and I think he could be a capable starter. And let me say this. After the last couple years with Donald Stevenson, with Menelik Watson, with Max Garcia, if Connor McGovern is your weakest link on that O-line, they're in pretty good shape. Yeah. That's my opinion on that. Definitely. Moving on, we have the tight end position. Now, you've, you've touched on this already tonight, Zach, but Jeff Hireman, he's the elder statesman, if you will. I mean, for lack of a better term. He's the most tenured pro in that room. 
But we all know that he's basically keeping the seat warm for Jake Butt to come in and just take the job because that's what the, what the Broncos have in mind. That's what they have envisioned. And he's finally healthy. Anyone who's taken the time to go back and watch some of Jake Butt's tape in college at Michigan. I mean, Carl just did a phenomenal VIP film breakdown, which focused on the four routes that were the four run, um, you know, on the route tree, the four routes that Jake Butt ran predominantly to the greatest success while in college at Michigan and extrapolating that into how the Broncos can use it uh, in 2018. And you just watch him on tape. He's, he's a phenomenal tight end. So long as he stays healthy, I don't see any reason why he's not coming out day one starter at tight end because he can block. And he's not the greatest blocker, but he's a willing blocker. Unlike Jeff Hireman, who doesn't want to get his hands dirty. Then you got uh, Trailer, Austin Trailer. He showed out well yesterday as you – or uh, he showed out well last yeah. year as uh, you touched on. Troy Fumagalli, I'm a little bit worried about him just because we haven't seen him in any action yet and there's been no update on what his prognosis is coming back from that sports hernia. Uh, so there's some balls in the air there, but how do you see this one shaking out? First of all, I'm not the biggest fan of Hireman. I think he's pretty much like the Cody Latimer of tight ends, just a guy who hasn't lived up to his draft status. And I'm not the biggest fan of his ability. He's had time to show what he can do, and he hasn't shown it. So I'm a big Jake Butt fan. I was a big fan of his at Michigan, even before the Broncos drafted him. Like you said, he's pretty much an all-around tight end who's drawn comparisons to Greg Olson, to Jason Witten. Those are pretty high-end comparisons that he can live up to. But if they can get anything half of that, Hmm. he will be a steal as a fifth-rounder. And this is a guy who had a second-round grade before he tore his knee up in that uh, that bowl game at Michigan. So I think he will be the the starter, and I think that's not even a a competition. The only thing that's going to keep Hireman in the mix is seniority. He's the most senior guy on the roster after Virgil Green left. So he'll be in the mix on two tight end packages or on um, blocking situations, whatever. But I, as tight end one goes, as the pass catcher goes, that will be Jake Butt. I like Austin Trailer And Fumagalli, he was a good pass catching threat at Wisconsin. Wasn't much of a run blocker. But I don't think we're going to see too much of him. I think just my gut tells me they're going to kind of hold him back a little bit with that sports hernia because those are so easily aggravated. Uh, but at tight end, I, I do see Jake Butt getting that that starting role. You have a lot of higher men just because he's the senior most guy. And you will see that third tight end in Austin Trailer. But I'm a big Jake Butt guy. Broncos also have some decisions to make at wide receiver because – If you count Jordan Taylor, there's currently 13 of them on the roster. And depending on how the roster math shakes out, where they draw the punt returner from, whether it comes from running back, whether it comes from the wideout group, they could keep six. Might end up only being five, but I think it's a safe bet to just say, let's let's plan on six. So you've got the top four spots on the depth chart essentially locked down in Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and then the rookie duo of Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. Now, those bottom two spots could be picked up by anyone hungry enough. you got to be disappointed if Carlos Henderson isn't one of those guys, but how do you see this one shaking out? I think they're going to keep six also. I agree with that, and I think there's going to be three players competing for two spots, and those three players were Taylor, Henderson, and Isaiah McKenzie. And all those guys are pretty much on the uh, the bubble, the hot seat. Henderson missed his entire rookie year. Then he got popped for weed in January. Then he had a hamstring injury. It hasn't been the smoothest start to an NFL career. Uh, McKenzie, everyone knows his story. He couldn't hold on to the ball literally last year. He was in Van Joseph's doghouse. He was in the fan base's doghouse. And Jordan Taylor is the favorite. He is that fan favorite. He's sunshine and all, and he has that physical ability. But this hip surgery... Mm. 
is really going to put him behind the eight ball. It's really going to hurt him. If he was healthy, he would have the upper hand for a roster spot, especially because he's also a punt returner candidate. Um, a, a name to keep in mind, though, in this battle, and it's kind of a long shot, is Kenny Bell. A guy who they picked up last year uh, on the practice squad. They brought him back on a futures deal. He was a very good player at Nebraska. And he has really high upside. And I like what I saw from him on tape. And he's gotten some buzz this offseason. He's gotten some buzz after practices. And I just think he's a name to keep in mind. Uh, it might be a long shot. might be another practice squad guy. But I, I do want to point that out there. But it, it's going to be three players for two spots. Taylor, Henderson, and McKenzie. I think Henderson stays because he was a third-round draft pick. And then you'll have Taylor. If he can come back and he can show decently after hip surgery, he will get that spot. And my hot take is Isaiah McKenzie will be cut at final cuts. Mm. I will not disagree with you there. Let me say this. I won't be surprised if McKenzie is one of the guys on the outside looking in. And I'm going to save some of my further analysis on the wide receiver group for when we get to the mailbag here in just a, a few more minutes. So let's move on to the returner. We got the kick returner wide open. We got the punt returner wide open. Obviously, we've already touched on Philip Lindsay as a, as a factor there, as someone who's been uh, pushed to the forefront by the coaching staff as a key candidate. Isaiah McKenzie, Jordan Taylor, if he was healthy, but you might as well throw him out right now as a viable option, at least for punt returner. And then you've got also Deshaun Hamilton, who might not be the most electric player in the open field, but you can count on to secure the actual catch. And then at kick returner, you've got a variety of guys, including besides who we've already mentioned, Brendan Langley, the corner, who was a very dangerous returner at Lamar. And even D'Angelo Henderson could factor in, along with Carlos Henderson, mm-hmm. uh, for, for uh, whatever it's worth. So starting with, with really the one that matters, how do you see punt returners shaping up on the doorstep of training camp? Um, there's four. Well, there's three players. You have Taylor in there, but he's hurt or coming off surgery. You have Deshaun Hamilton. Um, you have River Craycraft. That's another name at mm, wide receiver. He's competing for that job. Uh, and you have um, Philip Lindsay. So I think Lindsay does, based on what Joseph has said and based on the comments from Tom McMahon, the special teams coordinator, I think Lindsay has that upper hand because he's that feel-good story, uh, the local kid from Colorado, their second all-time leading rusher. I think he does win that spot at punt returner and that that's why he will make the 53 but you'll have some other guys in there I like Hamilton but he had no experience at Penn State as a punt returner so he kind of is out to me and if Taylor was healthy I think he'd get that spot but he's not healthy so that's punt returner kick returner like you mentioned the names right there are Langley Henderson and Carlos Henderson both Hendersons um it's interchangeable Langley is locked into a roster spot so he'll be in the mix Henderson they could keep him for that reason he's very explosive that's why he was a third round pick from a small school at Louisiana Tech but he's very explosive if he can just hold on to the ball and stay healthy he should carve out a role on special teams as the kick returner. And also uh, D'Angelo, he'll, he, he'll, D'Angelo Henderson will make the 53, and he'll be in there too. So two of those guys will be the kick returners. I think it'll be Henderson and Langley, a kick returner, and a punt returner, I think it'll be Phillip Lindsay. Yeah, I can't disagree there. I cannot disagree, at least on the doorstep of camp. And, of course, everything can change uh, once the, the cleats hit the grass. Now, last one, and then we're going to move on backup quarterback I know it's on the minds of everybody it's going to impact the destiny of this season not in the great words of of Wayne from Wayne's world so listen (laughs) up it I don't know we've talked about this before but really what it comes down to is this the Broncos are going to give Paxton Lynch every opportunity to win this job 
Chad Kelly's basically going to have to go above and above and above and beyond and do more with less opportunities in order to edge out Paxton Lynch. And what I mean by that is you're going to see Lynch running with the twos to, to, for the first two weeks of training camp predominantly while Kelly brings up the rear with the third team when preseason rolls around. And now I could be wrong on this, but we'll see how it plays out when the games actually come uh, roll around. But I think you're going to see, you know, Case Keenum come in for his one or two series in the first game. And then you're going to see Paxton Lynch get the lion's share of second, third quarter, and then start the fourth quarter. And then Kelly comes in type thing to finish out the second half of the fourth quarter type thing. And when in that sense, they want to do two things. One, they want to give Lynch every opportunity to succeed in order to protect the investment, in order to build up his confidence. And three, they do like Chad Kelly, and they don't want to give him too much. Uh, if they already have it in mind that, look, we're not going to cut Paxton Lynch this year. He's making the roster. We're not sure we want to carry three quarterbacks. They don't want to give Chad Kelly too much exposure under the preseason lights for other teams to come in so that at the end of the preseason, when they wave him, they can safely stash him on the practice squad and have him hopefully for next year. Now, all of those, that's many balls in the air, but that's really, I think we'd have to see some kind of miraculous, even though I think Chad Kelly is going to be clearly a better player. Honestly, I think his talent level and his type A alpha uh, mindset and personality, you're going to see a big difference between him and Paxton Lynch, but I think that's going to be couched behind the Broncos kind of protecting him, uh, the, the former first round pick. But how do you see this thing shaking out? Well, first of all, I see all three quarterbacks making the 53. They'd be stupid to go into the season with just Paxton Lynch as Keenum's backup, and they're not going to sign someone else. So regardless of how it shakes out, that's my opinion that I think all three will make the 53. Whether who wins that backup spot, we have touched on this. We both are Chad Kelly fans, at least more so than Paxton Lynch. I I do think the Broncos are kind of tilting this this competition in Lynch's favor if only to justify Lynch as a first-round draft pick. and Because if he gets beat out by another seventh-rounder for a third year in a row, what does that really say about Elway and this organization? What does it say about Paxton Lynch? So yep. it's going to be – it's going to come down to right down to the fourth preseason game because we're all going to get reps. But I, I do see Kelly winning this battle if it is fair. If it's not fair, if Lynch gets more reps, he'll be the number two. They might, they might make him the yeah. number two anyway. They might just do it uh, just for title only. You never know. But I do think all three will make the 53. And this is another quarterback competition, but thank God it's not for the starting mm-hmm. job. I agree with you, though, that if the, if the, the, the playing field were leveled, Chad Kelly is going to emerge ahead of, of Paxton Lynch each and every time. But... Again, and I'll believe it went. I'll stand corrected if this ends up not being uh, how it shakes out, and the Broncos end up giving them equal snaps, equal reps with the second team, equal everything in preseason games. You know, I'll be the first one to stand up and say, "Hey, I was wrong." Tip my cap to the Broncos. Good job. Because at this point, coming off five and eleven, it should be about finding the right player, the best player for the job, rather than protecting any kind of sense of entitlement, trying to nurture uh, a first-round quarterback's fragile ego and a guy who was crying on the sidelines in Oakland, one of the most hated division rivals in the history of the team. So, you know, all things being equal, Chad Kelly emerges victorious. Uh, I agree with you there, but we'll see how the Broncos shape this thing. So uh, moving on, though, we'll, let's let's uh, put our prognosticating caps out. We'll grab the crystal ball again here, Zach. Broncos, if you look at strength of schedule, tied for 25th, which means that only four teams, uh, actually, if you, if you look at the numbers, have an easier slate of games because of how many uh, different teams are tied. 
Now, I recently wrote about where I see the Broncos ending up based on kind of a new formula that I put together on the fly that extrapolates uh, that record based on the additions the team made this offseason. I see more positive additions than negative takeaways, as it, as it were. So mm-hmm. I'll let us uh, – you start us off here, Zach. Give us – you know, we don't need to go through each week on the schedule, especially because we're kind of running long here. But give us your Denver Broncos 2018 record prediction and why you have it. Uh, it's so tough to make this in on July 23rd, but I think seven and nine is the is the basement, and I think ten and six is the ceiling. It'll be somewhere between there. Having Case Keenum alone at quarterback is good for at least two more wins, just based on his talent and based on his leadership, and based on the fact the offense as a whole is better. If they can get some things go their way, you know they they have a, a weaker schedule. They don't have many consecutive difficult opponents in a row on the schedule. They have a week 10 bye, which is pretty good, right? Kind of in the middle of the year. I do think they can get to eight and eight, nine and seven, maybe 10 and six. If all kind of breaks together and it all kind of falls into place and they can push for a wild card spot. I don't think a division title is in their grasp this year. I think they're a a one year away, but I will say this, it's going to come down to as most things do in the NFL is coaching. Can Vance Joseph put it all together? We already touched on this, but if he can be that coach that Elway thought he could be and he can get the most out of his team and avoid losing streaks and whatever, blowouts, they could get to 8, 9, 10 wins. If he doesn't go that direction and they have uh, tough spells in there and maybe Keenan doesn't pan out, maybe there's the injury bug bites him again. I think 7-9 and nine is, their, uh, is their record for this year. But I'll say 7-9 and nine, anywhere from there to 10-6. I know I'm not going out on yeah. a limb, but I think Keenum alone could get him at least two more wins. And, you know, it was kind of made up on the fly. I was responding to a great question from one of our VIP subscribers in the, in the forums who basically asked me what the expectations should be for the Broncos in 2018. And the way I saw it, that at worst the Case Keenum edition is worth an additional victory over last year's total. So that, that gives you six, but I agree with you. It could be more. It very well could be more, but just to be conservative, let's say it gives them one more extra win over where they finished last year. That gives them six wins. Then you move on and you look at their, the improvements drastically they've made on special teams by getting rid of Brock Olivo, bringing in the veteran Tom McMahon. They finally have an adult run in the third uh, phase. <laughs> and then also you can't sleep on the fact that Marquette King, all pro punter, is mm-hmm. now punting in the thin air of mile high. That's a great point. And that's, it's just going to make a huge difference. I mean, Broncos fans, look, special teams is not a sexy topic, and it's not one that is that analysts and radio guys and podcasters like us often spend a lot of time dissecting because it is what it is. But we learned quickly last year how important it is. When things go sideways and they're not, special teams are, are out of whack, it can definitely stack up L's. In the standings. So I think the way the Broncos have improved, you know, a lot of that determines is going to be determined on whether Brandon McManus gets out of his head and gets back to being the the killer that he was and also what happens with the returner. So but still, I do think that's worth uh, just with McMahon and just with Marquette King. I think that's an extra win. You keep going. You look at strength of schedule, which we've already touched on. I think that's worth half game. That's right. Half game win over last year. And then you got the law of averages which is basically, you look, at the, look at the John Elway effect, okay? During his 16 years as a player, uh, the Broncos made the playoffs 10 times, and they never had longer than a two-year um, absence from the playoffs with him as a player. Now, does that guarantee that that streak's going to continue as a GM? No. I mean, it's kind of a weak thing to hang your hat on if you're trying to extrapolate and, and, 
and project what's going to happen this year. But the Broncos have missed the playoffs two years in a row. And just based on the law of averages, as it applies to the influence John Elway has on a team's uh, culture, I think that's worth half a, uh, half a win too. So long story short, what it came down to for me is I see the Broncos at 9-7, and seven, okay? But I <laughs> honestly, I could see them winning 10 games. I could even see them winning 11 games. So I think for – I'm, I'm starting though at 9-7. and seven. Right now until we see more in training camp, I'm starting at 9-7. and seven. What's a fun thing to think about, though, is let's say Vance Joseph, to keep his job for a third year, guaranteed, they have to make the playoffs. If they can make the playoffs, I think he'll get another year for sure. What happens, though, if they finish with a winning record and they don't make the playoffs? Mm. What does Elway do? Kubiak, is nine, is Kubiak nine 2016 wins. again, so they, they, <laughs> they go 9-7, and seven, but they don't quite get into the tournament. Ooh, I don't know. Right. I mean, he's not going to retire due to health issues, though. So what are they? What is Elway going to do? Is he going to fire him? Is he going to keep it's, it's It's a fun scenario to think about. And that's why it's kind of purgatory for them. So it, at nine and seven, he has to hope they get into a wild card spot. Yeah. And I think it's certainly possible because the AFC West is no longer the powerhouse that it yeah. was when Peyton Manning was was patrolling it. Um, Alex Smith is gone. Philip Rivers, you know, I'll believe he's great. He's a great Getting quarterback. But I'll believe the Chargers as the darlings that all of the NFL analysts have picked to win the AFC West. I'll believe that when I see it. They just always find a way to screw it up. Whether they start off slow or whether they end slow, one way or another, the Chargers just find a way to step on their on their own foot uh, more often than not. And then you got, I mean, even going back to the Raiders and the Chiefs, both teams are undergoing kind of a makeover. On one end, you've got the, the head coach with Oakland, total makeover there. On the Chiefs, you've got to make over in a new era at the quarterback level, which is almost as important as the head coach, and you could even argue as important. So because of all those balls in the air, so to speak, in the AFC West, 9-7 and seven could win the division. 9-7, and seven, even if it doesn't, could very well see the Broncos get into the tournament. So anything's possible, but that is an interesting question, Zach. What happens if the Broncos post 9-7 and seven and yet – fail to make the tournament what happens to Vance Joseph I guess we'll see if that happens but I wouldn't envy John Elway because that'd be a very tough decision you know it wouldn't and I don't know what he would do uh we're gonna have to see that play out but you know I'll give a more specific record prediction I will say eight and eight so they're dead even and that's still an improvement but is that enough to keep his job I don't think so I think they have to see improvement they can't risk another third playoff this season in a row for a team that's two years removed from the Super Bowl two years, three seasons, yeah. and uh, they won division title five years in a row. To make to, to make to miss out in the playoffs three years in a row, you've got to make a change. Especially so. if they start off like McDaniels did in 09, win their first six games and everyone's riding high, and then finish two and eight in the final ten. Well, you would gone. see Vance Joseph definitely lose his job. But, uh, he's gone. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Now, we kind of got to the mailbag, putting it out there on Twitter a little bit late tonight. So we'll take, we got one question here from Mile High Maniac. And guys, you know it. We're your Broncos priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And Mile High Maniac wants to know this. Which player that no one is talking about should we be paying attention to? Zach, for me, that's Tim Patrick. I was talking about this with Lance Sanderson, Mile High Huddle writer here uh, just a couple days ago. Tim Patrick earned a lot of rave reviews during OTAs. For those of you who are going to be attending camp, He's in the number 81 jersey, so just keep an eye out for him. No one's talking about him. No one really even knows who he is. He's an undrafted former Utah Ute that the Broncos signed to a futures contract. He's been making a name for himself. He still has an enormously uphill battle to try and make the roster, 
Um, but he's a guy to keep an eye on, see if he can parlay some of that momentum from, from summer football uh, into training camp and, uh, and preseason. Who you got? I touched on two guys already, and that's J.J. Dealman, the guard, and uh, Kenny Bell, the receiver. For the reasons that I already said, I think they're long shots to make the roster, but they have upside and they will be uh, in the mix. So that's two names for fans to keep an eye on at those respective positions. But one kind of obvious name not a lot of people are talking about surprisingly because he had a down season last year is Demarcus Walker at defensive end. Mm. And I say that because I know it's not a very, you know, going out on a limb by saying that, but you have Derek Wolf, who's a walking injury. You have Adam Gotsis, whose rape case is still up in the air. For whatever reason, he might end up in prison or released, whatever. So Demarcus Walker, he has such breakout potential this season, kind of like what you saw last year with Gotsis and Shelby Harris breaking out. I I was a big fan of him at FSU, and he he didn't do much last year, but I don't hold that against him, moving him to OLB, which was an idiotic move. Now he's back at defensive end. He put on weight. He's back to his college playing weight. I think he's in for a breakout season. I think five, six sacks, finally giving that Broncos defense an interior pass rush with Clinton McDonald, that defensive uh, tackle, defensive end. They can push the pocket inside and force quarterbacks to go left and right, and right into the arms of Von Miller, of Bradley Chubb, of Shane Ray, of Shaq Barrett. So uh, Demarcus Walker is my breakout candidate. He is one name to keep in mind that not a lot of people are talking about, not paying yeah. attention to, but that will change soon. I'll throw two more out there just real quick, both on the defensive side of the ball one Marcus Rios now he's the guy the Broncos mm-hmm. turned to undrafted out of UCLA cornerback last year they t- had to turn to him promote him from the practice squad to the active roster when Brandon Langley crashed and burned he finished the season as Denver's fourth corner behind Tlaib Roby and Harris so keep an eye on him obviously they, they added to the uh, to the cupboard so to speak by drafting Isaac Yadam in the third round signing Tremaine Brock and then Tlaib's gone so He's been working his butt off. He's a very smart player. He's trying to learn everything there is to learn so that he can be as valuable as possible to that secondary. And then the other guy to keep an eye on also in the secondary is undrafted as well. Last year, DeMonte Thomas, who we've heard from from sources uh, from the team. We talked about this on the VIP post a couple days ago, but DeMonte Thomas has earned a lot of points in the eyes of the Broncos coaches this offseason. Obviously, he also was a guy who found his way from the practice squad to the active roster late in the season, and the Broncos have been extremely tickled with him thus far. So you're going to have a total logjam at the safety position because you got Sue Cravens, Justin Simmons, and you got Darian Stewart as, as the three locks. Stewart's locked because of the money he's making that they're on the hook for. I mean, it's extremely unlikely, even if he completely sucks during camp and preseason, that the Broncos move on from him. But you got those three locked down. Last year they went into the season after they cut – T.J. Ward on the doorstep and kept four. And that last one was uh, Jamal Carter and then, of course, Will Parks. This year, I'm not sure Jamal uh, uh, Jamal uh, Carter factors in in the same way he did last year. And I honestly don't think Will Parks is making this club. I think DeMonte Thomas has the opportunity to supplant both those guys as the fourth safety that makes the final 53 out of camp. That's a great, great, great point. Demonte Thomas, I, I shouldn't mention it because he came on last year. He had a pick six in, uh, was it preseason? Yeah, I believe it was. the Cardinals. That's right. Right. That's right. And for my money, I would not have kept Darian Stewart $4.5 million. He's just, his time, I think, is up as a premium player. And they have Justin Simmons. And I was a big fan of Jamal Carter. Not so much Will Parks, but Sua Cravens is that new guy. So I agree with you. Demonte Thomas is definitely a name to keep in mind. 
ought to push 453 spot. Well, hey, man, the rust fell off in chunks. Uh, felt it good. We exercised some of our demons, some of our own demons today, but uh, that'll that'll do it. You guys, Broncos camp starts just a few days, so get excited. The next time you hear from Zach and I, we're going to be breaking down some actual events that took place on the field, making sense of it, deep diving on it all. Meanwhile, you can find Zach Kelberman on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. And make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle.